So this morning we are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam. Om Ajnana Timirandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Shri Chaitanya Manovishtam Stapitam Yena Bhutale Svayam Rupa Kadamahyam Tadhati Svapadantikam Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Yuttaparakamalam Shri Gurun Vaishnavangscha Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raghunatangitam Tang Sadivam Sadvaitam Savadutam Parijana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakanditangscha Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prishtaya Bhutale Srimate Bhaktivedanta Swamin Itinamine Namaste Sarasvati Devi Gauravani Pracharine Nirvishesha Shunyavani Paschatya Deshatarine Vanchakapatrubhyascha Kripa Sindhubya Evacha Patitanam Pavanebhyo Vaishnavebhyo Namo Namaha He Krishna Karuna Sindhu Dinabando Jagatpate Gopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostate Tapta Kanchana Gorangi Radhe Vrindavaneshwari Rishabhanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaura Bhakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare um, Let's see you were telling me it's verse number 12. Correct. Yes. They're saying it's verse number 11. Oh, that's not what yesterday told me. I'm sorry. That, that's my mistake. It is uh, verse 12. Okay. Good. And so today we're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 5. Chapter 14, uh, which is entitled The Material World as the Great Forest of Enjoyment. And we're reading verse number 12. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. 
Narayanam Namaskritya Naram Chayvanarottamam Deving Saraswating Yasam Tato Jayamudiraye Nashta Prayeshvavadreshu Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya Bhagavat Yuttamashloke Bhakti Bhavati Naishtiki The verse which is prose, not uh, with meter, goes something like this. Sa yada dukta purva sukritas tada karas apunyadruma lata vishoda panavat ubayarta shunya dravinan jivan mritan svayam jivan mriyamana Upadavati. And the word for word is Saha, that conditioned soul, Yada, when Dugda, exhausted, Purva, previous, Sukritas, pious activities, Tada, at that time, Karas Kakatunda Adi, named. Karaskara, Kakatunda, etc. Apunya Drumalata, impious trees and creepers. Visha Uda Pana Vat, like wells with poisonous water. Ubaya Arta Shunya, which cannot give happiness either in this life or in the next. Dravinan, those who possess wealth, Jivat Mritan, who are dead, although apparently alive, Svayam, he himself, Jivat, living, Mriyamana, being dead, Upadavati, approaches for material acquisition. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Srila Prabhupada. Translation, due to his pious activities in previous lives, the conditioned soul attains material facilities in this life. But when they are finished, he takes shelter of wealth and riches, which cannot help him in this life or the next. Because of this, he approaches the living dead <laughs> who possess these things. Such people are compared to impure trees, creepers, and poisonous wells. Purport. The wealth and riches acquired through previous pious activities should not be misused for sense gratification. Enjoying them for sense gratification is like enjoying the fruits of a poisonous tree. Such activities will not help the conditioned soul in any way, neither in this life nor the next. However, if one engages his possessions in the service of the Lord, 
under the guidance of a proper spiritual master, he will attain happiness both in this life and the next. Unless he does so, he eats a forbidden apple <laughs> and thereby loses his paradise. Lord Sri Krishna therefore advises that one's possessions should be given unto him. Yat karoshi yat ashnasi yat juhoshi dadasi yat yat tapasyasi kaunteya tat kurushva mat arpanam. O son of Kunti, all that you do, all that you eat, all that you offer and give away, as well as all austerities that you may perform, should be done as an offering unto me. Material wealth and opulence attained through previous pious activities can be fully utilized for one's benefit in this life and the next life if one is Krishna conscious. One should not try to possess more than he needs for the bare necessities. If one gets more than is needed, the surplus should be fully engaged in the Lord's service. That will make the conditioned soul, the world, and Krishna happy. And this is the aim of life. And the translation again. Due to his pious activities in previous lives, the conditioned soul attains material facilities in this life. But when they are finished, he takes shelter of wealth and riches, which cannot help him in this life or the next. Because of this, he approaches the living dead who possess these things. Such people are compared to impure trees, creepers, and poisonous wells. We continue to hear about the adventures of the person going into the forest of enjoyment, seeking enjoyment, but not really getting it. Hoping to obtain satisfaction, but being disappointed. Srila Prabhupada is emphasizing in his purport the proper use of wealth And the, the verse is discussing the, the misfortune that could, can come. I looked up, as one does nowadays, on the internet to see about poisonous trees. And there are indeed some trees which are very poisonous if you eat the fruit. Um, certain trees can cause death. 
One tree which has become famous in this regard is hemlock, um, famous because it was uh, the poison of the hemlock tree. I guess the the leaves of the hemlock, uh, which uh, Socrates took uh, on being condemned to death. So the comparison, there are two comparisons being made. Uh, persons who are approached in hopes of gaining wealth from them are compared to such trees. So here the analogy can be thought of as being in perhaps outdoors in a storm and one takes shelter under a tree thinking this, that the tree is giving shelter. One of the um, poison trees that I uh, read about, it mentions that even standing under this tree during rain uh, can, can be dangerous. The, uh, something from the tree can go on the skin and uh, cause, cause boils or whatever. And the other analogy that's given here is uh, Visha Udapanavat, like wells with poisonous water. One would go to a well hoping to get nice water uh, to quench one's thirst, uh, but if the, if the water is poisonous, obviously the desired result will not be there. In fact, uh, it becomes dangerous. So approaching people for, um, for gaining wealth from them can be dangerous. Mm. This, um, this whole chapter and this whole description of uh, someone going into a forest, we can say, is uh, describing, of course, the, the conditioned soul who is in a condition of um, being dissatisfied, of feeling lack, feeling incomplete. Srila um, Prabhupada, in his purport to the invocation to Ishopanishad, uh, says uh, in so many words that um all sense of incompleteness is due to incomplete knowledge of the complete whole and of course that verse om purnam adaha purnamidam purnat purnam udachate purnasya purnam adaya purnam eva abhishyate is uh, describing the 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 absolute truth as being complete and with the understanding um, that anything removed from the, the complete whole does not in any way diminish that completeness. And of course, we all living beings are part of part and parcel, as Srila Prabhupada says, of that completeness. Uh, and so we can say that uh, what we 
endeavor to to practice, to cultivate as devotees, is recognition of uh, of completeness that he um, is part and parcel of the Lord are always complete. And that means um, it is possible to feel satisfaction in all conditions. And that is uh, one of the austerities of the mind, according to Krishna in the 17th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, mana prasada, uh, the feeling of satisfaction in all conditions. But this chapter is describing a state of dissatisfaction. And um, one of the functions of Shastra in general, we may say, is to, uh, to warn and to remind, to remind the, us, the devotees, of the, um, the, the, the impossibility of satisfaction in this world. Uh, and one way of thinking of this is in terms of rhetoric. Rhetoric is generally understood to be about uh, speech or writing, communication for the purpose of persuasion. Uh, and so, of course, the Bhagavatam is is uh, we why do we why do we read the Bhagavatam to be persuaded? Uh, we want to allow ourselves to be persuaded to take full shelter of the Lord, and an essential component of that is being persuaded of the futility of material existence. Um, in the Western philosophical tradition, Aristotle wrote uh, a book called Rhetoric, or his students compiled from his lectures. And he identified three components of rhetoric, and one of these is pathos. Uh, pathos just means emotion. If you want to convince someone of something, if you can arouse their emotions um, to be sympathetic to your message, then uh, they may listen to what you say and be convinced. Uh, actually, the first of the three is not pathos. The third and the first is ethos. And ethos refers to the, the sense of qualification of the speaker. If we have confidence in the speaker, um, that's a good reason to listen to him or her. Uh, we may know, we may have confidence from uh, what the speaker says, or we may have confidence due to some other reason. But uh, ethos is kind of the foundation. Uh, if we don't have any faith in the person we are listening to, we're not going to listen to what they have to say. 
So ethos, then there is uh, pathos, and a third principle that Aristotle speaks about is logos. Logos, um, sometimes translated as logic or simply reason. Uh, so we want to have reasons to be convinced, and a good speaker, a good speech will include uh, convincing reasons. Uh, they might include some statistics, some uh, facts and figures, so to say. Uh, there's a fourth uh, element in rhetoric, which is sometimes referred to, and that is kairos. Uh, kairos means the the situation, the circumstances of um, of the endeavor to communicate, to convince. If the circumstances are good, uh, then one is uh, more easily convinced than if circumstances are are not good. Uh, um, if circumstances, if the conditions for listening are not favorable, then um, no matter what you say, <laughs> no one will be listening. Now, all of these can be used and they can also be misused. And this is where um, we have a sort of traditional and general and uh, usually uh, justified distrust in politicians. Uh, a politician is, we generally understand, someone who wants to convince us of something uh, which is likely not to be true uh, for the purpose of getting our support for them. Uh, so, uh, the but what I wanted to say is pathos is very much uh, a point of um, communication found in the Bhagavatam. Um, it's, it's said that the Bhagavatam communicates in three ways. Um, Jiva Goswami quotes, Vedyam, Vedam Puranam Kavyam Cha, uh, uh, Prabhur Mitra Priyeva Cha, Bodhayantiti Ibrahus Trivrit Bhagavata Punaha. He says the Bhagavatam, uh, there, there are three sorts of literature, Veda, Purana, and Kavya, and they communicate in three different sorts of ways. Prabhu uh, means like a master, Mitra means like a friend, and Kavya uh, means like a lover. So to convince us uh, to act, uh, in devotional service, the Bhagavatam uses all three methods. Uh, it sometimes commands like a king, like a prabhu. Sometimes it advises us like a friend. You know, you really should do like this. Uh, don't waste your time doing something else. And uh, the third principle 
uh, is is uh, the communication of one who is like a lover, speaking very sweetly. And of course, the Bhagavatam is full of very sweet uh, poetry. We may then ask what sort of uh, communication is the one that we have just read today. And I would say it's a combination of uh, the Prabhu and the Mitra. But the Bhagavatam having all three, we can also say that all three types of communication are there. Uh, and of course, uh, the the conviction that we're to understand from this is just how uh, futile it is, and therefore how foolish it is. We, as we read this, there's also an element of um, there is an element of humor from the position of the devotee. We hear about someone in the forest looking for enjoyment, and we we we. We are amused at their foolishness. Uh, at the same time, we may um, feel sorry for that person, and that is where the, we may say, the, the sense of pathos comes. Okay, these are very few of many points that could be made, but what I would like to do now with all of your indulgence, because Govardhan Puja is coming up very soon, I'd like to read something which I have written. And the reason, one reason I'm reading it is because it's Govardhan Puja coming up, and this is about Govardhan. Another reason I'm reading is because I like to encourage devotees to write. And I'll take this opportunity to do a little advertising that I'm inviting devotees to write uh, a reflection of some sort on any verse, any series of verses within the second canto of Srimad Bhagavatam because we're preparing to publish a book on this. But um, I can explain that if time allows another time. For now, um, again, with your indulgence, this takes about 15 minutes to read, so um, I hope you can bear with me. This is called Ellie. Ellie and her father go on Govardhan Parikrama. Adrian Nicolai from Romania is a visiting professor of sociology at Kurukshetra University, north of New Delhi. Ellie, Elena, is Adrian's daughter, soon to be 23 years old, studying ancient Indian history, culture, and archaeology at the same university. Both Ellie and Adrian have physical disabilities. From early childhood, Adrian has had eye trouble and is now 85% blind. 
Ellie is immobile due to a motorbike accident and confined to a wheelchair. Since Adrian's wife, Ellie's mother, unexpectedly died of a heart condition eight months ago, life has been very emotionally strained and practically difficult for both father and daughter. It is early February 2023, and uh, Ellie's birthday is approaching. Adrian wants to do something special for Ellie to celebrate and also to reconnect with her after her mother's death. One recent evening, they watched, that is, Adrian hearing the audio, a documentary about how Vrindavan and Greater Vraja are rapidly changing in the 21st century. One scene showed streams of joyous-looking people doing parikrama around Govardhan Hill. Adrian speaks. Ellie, let's you and I together go to Govardhan. We can go around the hill, as all these people do. For sure, it will be a memorable experience. Ellie, but Dad, how will we manage? I can't walk and you can't see. Adrian, we'll get Joshi to be our guide. He'll push your wheelchair and I can follow along, walking behind you. I'm still fit. Ellie, but Dad... They said on the documentary that one complete parikrama is 23 kilometers, and one is supposed to walk the whole way barefoot. Adrian, 23 kilometers, one kilometer for each year of your life. Anyway, don't worry. For my part, I'll manage, and with Choshi's help, we can make it. We don't have to hurry. We can rest along the way. And anyway... No one says we have to go all the way around. Or we can do it over two or three days, staying in the guest house overnight. And didn't they show in the documentary that electric rickshaws are always available if we need one? And so their adventure began. Joshi, a family friend and native of Kurukshetra, is all too pleased to join the excursion. He is a jolly, talkative fellow, and he happens to know Govardhan quite well, as his grandmother lived in Govardhan town. Joshi speaks. We can start our parikram where most people begin, in Govardhan town, on the road heading south. It's crowded, as many initiate their trek with obeisances at this particular place. Well, Ellie, you can make obeisance in your mind. This counts just as well. When they arrive at the place to begin their parikram, Ellie says, Now, help me down. I want to do this the right way by making proper obeisance to Govardhan. Initially hesitant, but well-built and strong, Joshi carefully helps her out of the wheelchair and onto the pavement before the earthen pathway begins. Other pilgrims nod and smile approvingly as they see Ellie conscientiously offering obeisance despite her physical difficulty. <laughs> Photo! Without waiting for permission, two teenage girls in jeans and bright red lipstick position themselves left and right of the three 
gleefully waving over a young banana vendor to snap their photo as a group. Giggling and saying thank you, they hasten forth into the crowd on their own program, not looking back. Adrian, the sociologist, muses. They don't know us and we don't know them, yet now we've been frozen in time together by a phone camera device, probably made in China. For sure, they will share our white, nameless faces with their friends. We will probably never see them again. Such are the shifting, superficial human interactions of modern times, or I should say, postmodern times. Well, says Ellie, here at Govardhan, there could also be some shifting and interesting human-non-human animal interactions, especially with these monkeys. She describes to her father the wily monkeys she sees scampering along the top of Govardhan's very modest-sized rocky, red rocky outcropping. Speaking of which, pipes up Joshi, here at Govardhan, it's good to remember Hanuman, the semi-divine monkey servant of Lord Rama. They say that one explanation for Govardhan being here where it, where it or he now stands is that ages ago, Hanuman carried him here from up north on his way to South India to help Rama build his bridge to Lanka. Ellie. So then that means Govardhan has been lifted up twice, first by Hanuman and later by Krishna, a young Hercules-type cowherd boy, revered as none other than Bhagavan, the supreme being. That's kind of the main story, isn't it? Joshi, Joshi chuckles and says, yes, for sure. Back then, it was news all over the universe, making all the headlines. Cowherd boy, age seven, lifts hill, heaven's king, humbled. Krishna's devotees celebrate Krishna's lifting Govardhan and holding the hill aloft for seven days and nights, balancing it on his left hand, or they also say on his left pinky finger. It was his clever and elegant way of teaching a lesson for the too proud storm god Indra. Ellie also chuckles. Left pinky finger, I love that. Anyone claiming to be God should be able to pass the seven day and night holding up Govardhan with left pinky finger test. Adrian, skeptically. I suppose that... I suppose that to get the full benefit of this parikrama, we should have faith that this lifting business really happened. Dad, don't worry about it. They say that by circumambulating Govardhan, our consciousness, our deepest awareness of reality, gets purified. And then we can understand and realize how everything is possible for Krishna. Bhagavan is by definition all-powerful. So if Krishna is Bhagavan, Adrian, purified consciousness, an interesting concept. Joshi, my grandmother was deeply convinced that Krishna indeed lifted Govardhan Hill. As kids, she had us spellbound as she would point, as she would paint this incredible picture with words. 
a picture of Krishna's wonderful, loving character that he would display so artfully to the complete fascination of the Rajavasis, the residents of Raja. As she described the scene, we, my big sister and I, and neighborhood kids, felt as if we were part of the event, as if Krishna was right there in front of us, as if we could reach out and touch him. Ellie, times have changed, haven't they, Joshi? Nowadays, who listens to their grandmother? Everyone is listening to the TV and internet. Well, come to think of it, it was a TV documentary that inspired us to come here. And yet, probably more people come here to do Govardhan Parikrama than at any previous time in history. Right, Joshi? Joshi. For sure, but I was going to say about my grandmother, it wasn't just us kids enthralled by a charming grandmotherly storyteller. No, once I witnessed her give a stiff verbal Shastrik thrashing to a whole room full of dumbfounded pundits, she was deeply learned in our scriptures. Adrian, I would like to have been there to witness her silencing the proud pundits. As they continue along the earthen pathway that parallels Govardhan, they see by the side one wiry, balding, and bearded sadhu sitting on a blanket, reading a book aloud to himself. Joshi asks him in Hindi what he's reading. The man smiles, gesturing for Joshi and Adrian to sit with him on the blanket and for Ellie to sit facing them on her wheelchair. I'm reading Indra's prayers to Krishna when he begs forgiveness for his terrible misbehavior in response to Krishna's inciting the Rajavasis to worship Govardhan instead of worshiping him. He recites a Sanskrit verse, translates it into Hindi, then Joshi translates Hindi into English for Eli and Adrian. Quote, Unto him who assumes transcendental bodies according to the desires of his devotees, unto him whose form is itself pure consciousness, unto him who is everything, who is the seed of everything, and who is the soul of all creatures, I offer my obeisance. O Lord, you have shown mercy to me by shattering my false pride and defeating my attempt to punish Vrindavan. To you, the Supreme Lord, spiritual master and supreme soul, I have now come for shelter. Adrian. Adrian says, so this king of heaven, what was his name? Joshi. Indra. He's known to be extremely powerful, sometimes showing his power in the form of fierce thunderstorms. Adrian. So Indra was humbled by Krishna when Krishna lifted this Govardhan hill. But if he, Krishna, is more powerful than Indra, why didn't he just prevent Indra's rainstorm from the start? Joshi relates the question in Hindi to the sadhu, whose reply Joshi translates into English. That's partly explained by this verse. Krishna assumes transcendental bodies according to the desires of his devotees. His devotees, the Vrajabhasis, wanted above all to see Krishna's wonderful form and to enable them 
to do so without interruption. Krishna lifted Govardhan and became like a motionless deity for seven days and nights. Simultaneously, he shattered Indra's false pride by making Govardhan into a giant temple, a temple-like umbrella. Ellie emits a long sigh. Lucky Brajavasis. Adrian, lucky Indra. Ellie, lucky Indra? What do you mean, Dad? Adrian, well, even though he made such a big offense against Krishna and the Rajavasis, in the end, he could meet Krishna and speak with him directly. Joshi, laughing, now you're sounding like a Krishna Bhakta, a devotee of Krishna. He explains in Hindi to the sadhu what Eli and Adrian are saying, and the sadhu laughs, then speaks energetically. Joshi, translating. He says that actually you both are devotees of Krishna. Otherwise, you would not be here at Govardhan. The sadhu smiles and makes a gesture of blessing with his right hand. Joshi, he's blessing us. We can take it as a direct blessing from Govardhan. Adrian and Ellie fold their hands in respect and gratitude, and Adrian places some rupee notes in the sadhu's begging bowl before they stand up to proceed on their journey. By this time, the early morning fog has lifted. Adrian, I'm starting to like this. Ellie, like what, Dad? Adrian, this walking around this hill. What do you call it? Parikrama, Govardhan Hill. It feels special, like I'm getting some sort of ability to see internally, even if I can hardly see externally. Maybe my consciousness is getting purified, as you say. Ellie, yes, and I also feel we're in a special place, making me feel like dancing, even if I can't do so physically. So let's, let's keep going. Joshi. Please push my wheelchair a little faster. We still have a long way to go. Dad, can you keep up? Do you want to rest? Do you want to put on your shoes? Adrian, no, I'm fine. It feels good having this sacred earth touching my feet. Let's go. Giriraj Maharaj Ki Jai Ho. Joshi, next time we stop for a rest, Please tell us how your grandmother beat the pundits into silence with her knowledge of the scriptures. And Joshi says, for sure, it's an amazing story. And that's the end of the story. And I will end there because it's time to end. Hare Krishna. I hope you found that uh, in some way interesting. And uh, one thing I would say about it, uh, you may remember there are two verses that I quote from the Bhagavatam within the story. And I make this as a suggestion to devotees when they're, um, when I ask them to write, that this can be one way to to write is to Take one verse, or maybe more than one verse, 
and build a story around the verse. Uh, it's, it can be a very nice way of um, sort of making a setting for the jewel, uh, which is the verse that you want to quote. So I will say at this point, Prantaraj Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai, Sri Giri Govardhana Ki Jai, Sri Sri Radha Damodara Ki Jai, Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai, Nitai Gaur Premanande Hari Bol Hare Krishna.